Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Everybody and welcome back to Cancelled Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibel. Okay, save that for Scary Tober. Oh, fine. But we're doing a horror show. We are doing a horror well, show. First of all, we're back. That's yeah. nice. <laughs> uh, so the last couple of months here critically acclaimed, we've been sort of doing some shuffling and reorganizing and uh, we've dropped a couple of shows. We've created some new stuff. We've moved some things around on the Patreon. Uh, and uh, we're basically trying to find a schedule that really works for us right now. Now that things are changing a little bit society is opening up then closing down again and kids are out of school and kids are back in school and who the hell can keep up with all of it so um we've been trying and uh it's been difficult to be on top of every single thing but cancel too soon is our pride and joy yeah this this was sort of the thing that started it all yeah uh, uh, on our own anyway uh, yeah our, our yeah. that is our own thing uh, yeah. we, we were doing podcasts for other people yeah but, but this, uh, yeah, was this, this was ours this and uh, but us, yeah, yeah as, as no uh, one else believed in this crap we pitched this around <laughs> and nobody wanted it. yeah I, I pitched this this i pitched the podcast idea to more than one outlet and they all turned it down but so this became ours um and uh yeah and uh, as you've probably noticed we haven't been able to keep up with it uh, with the same regularity that we mm-hmm. once did and we're going to try to get back to that uh, when we can yep uh, for now we are coming back at you with something that ties in to something very topical. Yeah, you know, we were going to plan to do a TV series called They Came From Outer Space, which it turns out is shockingly long. It's a single season, but it was a really long season. And it was an hour-long show, which I'd forgotten about, so it's just been really difficult with all the other programming and all the other stuff that we're doing uh, to cram that one in. So I think for the foreseeable future, Cancel Too Soon is going to be a bit more freewheeling. It's going to be uh, whatever we can fit into our schedules for a little bit. We might have it be a little less planned in advance. We'll just do an episode whenever we can. Uh, but yeah, this one felt like we really had to do this. There is a new 
uh, series of films that we've been reviewing on the critically acclaimed podcast. We review new movies uh, based on R.L. Stein's Fear Street books. Yeah, and uh, I, we reviewed uh, all three of the films uh, on uh, critically acclaimed. Uh, and as we stated over there, uh, neither of us are R.L. Stein readers. Uh, no, I've read a Stein, few here and there, okay, but uh, not I, many. I, I have not cracked an R.L. Stein book. Uh, R.L. Stein is a little after my time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was already you know, delving into like really gory horror shit at that by the time R.L. Stein was really good. Big. Yeah. But same R. for a lot Stein, of people uh, in like the '90s in particular, he yeah. was a gateway. Yeah, R.L. Yeah. Stein was training wheels for, like, real horror. He did a yeah. really popular uh, horror for kids where scary things happened, but not, but like, haunted house level kind of scary nothing stuff. Nothing grotesquely violent. Yeah. Usually nothing terrible happened that couldn't be undone. There was death. There was occasionally some, like, some genuine scare in it. But all things considered, pretty tame. Nothing that most schools wouldn't be comfortable having in the library section. But, uh, as with all horror for kids... If you're into it, it feels kind of subversive. Sure, uh, you know, even when you're uh, when you're a little kid, you find some horror movie like um, what was one I watched as a kid, like Mister Boogity, uh, which there is you go, uh, a TV movie. Uh, that one felt like really, I sh- like I shouldn't have been watching it, even though it's to- <laughs> totally playful and very easy for kids. That's how I felt about the Monster uh, Squad, which is actually pretty mm-hmm. edgy for kids, but it was still definitely a kids movie. Yeah, there's. Uh, yeah. There's like sex gags, but that, that was sex um, gags. There's some people get staked through the heart. Yeah. There's a werewolf that blows up. It's it's pretty. It's a pretty severe PG-13, but it's still definitely a PG-13. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I guess the Monster Squad uh, came along right when uh, it, it was part of this big trend where there were a lot of movies about kids, but the kids themselves were like kind of messy assholes, mm-hmm. like the Goonies, they, yeah, and the, the, yeah. From, uh, Goonies, ET, uh, kids with messy rooms essentially who yeah. cussed at each other. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm not really sure what kind of ushered in. I guess it was all just part of a trend of mm. continuing this uh, trend of horror for kids. I think R.L. Stein spearheaded this big movement to open up a lot more horror properties for kids. Yeah, well, uh, R.L. Stein he wasn't just he wasn't just writing books for them. He was a brand. Yeah. Did you yeah. read the new R.L. Stein? There's mm. a new R.L. Stein at the bookstore, and there'd be and like a cardboard uh, standee with like a big green scary mask in it or something. And, and I don't know if he has uh, yet like sourced out his name like there are other like, people like, like, like the tom clancy or the vc andrews <laughs> where uh you know there's there's ghost writers i think arl stein still writes all of his own work uh, and uh, and uh if if the idea of him outsourcing his name to other authors is is uh, at all offensive i dearly apologize we don't know all the details uh, i don't know the details what i do appreciate mm. is that arl stein is a figure who has managed to become a world famous author writing scary stories for children Mm-hmm. That is not something most people do. And I really appreciated the way, the particular the first live-action Goosebumps movie where Jack Black mm-hmm. played R.L. Stein. They don't look anything alike, but he was fun. Um, they had built up this sort of weird mythos where he's this like reclusive author and nobody <laughs> knows where he is. And They moved in next to R.L. Stein and it turns out all of his books are magic and they're keeping monsters in. And there was this, he has this whole like weird... Uh, uh, rivalry with Stephen King over who's selling more books, and Earl Stein's like, last I checked, I was way ahead. <laughs> I don't know you how know, true that is. I wouldn't be shocked. He's huge. Um, Stephen King only has the edge in that he started publishing earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how how close they are in age. Um, I think Earl Stein's was... more prolific in many respects. Yeah, so you can crank yeah. him out. 
How the, they're not very long books, for the, the most the, part. The conceit of the movie was, yeah, it was about the real-life R.L. Stein, and all of the monsters in his books were real, and in this wrinkle very much akin to Wes Craven's new nightmare, mm-hmm. he could contain, like, physically contain the monsters in a story. Yeah. And if you cracked open the book, the monster would physically manifest and appear in the real world and wreak havoc. That first Goosebumps movie is really good. It, it's really funny. It's a uh, rock yeah. song. I would have loved, that would have been my favorite movie for a while when I was a mm-hmm. kid. Like, I was a huge fan. The it, sequel, Haunted Halloween, it's kind of more of the same but it's pretty good it's pretty it's got got some fun monster stuff but yeah the, yeah. the, the characters in the story aren't that interesting but all of those uh, were very very much even those movies and the goosebumps tv series which is more of an anthology tales from the crypt kind of uh, are you afraid of the dark kind of vibe uh they're all pretty good hmm. uh but uh, they're all definitely geared more towards kids and the, his fear street books and i never read these were allegedly geared a bit more towards the teens you know, people who can handle a bit more violence, I, I a bit think, more, a bit more terror. Goosebumps might be for like around age eight. And yeah. from what I understand, yeah, Fear Street was like 12, 12 yeah. or 13. Like, so you can handle some of the more, uh, more severe uh, horror. And uh, yeah, so Lee Janiak, the director of Honeymoon, uh, got the really sweet gig to adapt not only Fear Street to the screen, but to do a trilogy. Three Fear Street films. Three live action films shot simultaneously telling all one story. Uh, but over the course of three different time periods. Mm. And originally they were planned for theatrical release. I'm not sure how exactly the shift came over, but uh, then they moved to Netflix, which earlier this month released one per week. Mm. And again, we reviewed all of these on Critically Acclaimed. We can go into great detail over there, but I'm just going to say it. Instant classic. They're, they're very, very good movies, and I highly recommend all three of them. Yeah. Uh, the... Uh... They're, they're just they're just fun. They're One fun. second, Luca, get off the counter, buddy. <laughs> Look at him; he's just waving his butt at us. Luca, I, I just see his bottom. Uh, Damn it, buddy. Yeah, the the uh, the Lee Janiac films, however, uh, were clearly courting a much older audience because these are R-rated films, and mm-hmm. we know that we know we know the secret about R-rated films. Teenagers go to see them anyway. Of course. Especially now that they're on Netflix, anybody has access to them. Yeah, that much. was the gag. Um, like, maybe maybe your local movie theater wouldn't let you see the latest Friday the 13th movie, but it's going to be on HBO within a year. Or the people working at the theater don't give a damn, and you're going to get to go anyway. My um, point is, worst but, yeah. case scenario, eventually it's going to be on cable or basic cable, and you're going to see you're it, and see no it. one cares uh, yeah. anymore. Here, it just goes straight to Netflix. Doesn't matter. You're going to see it right away. Yeah, Luca, we're... seriously, get off the... What is your deal tonight, Luca? <laughs> He's been yeah. so good for months. I remember uh, Roger Ebert pointed out uh, one of those uh, one of the main hypocrisies of the R rating was that uh, most R rated films, at least when he was about the time he was writing this, were R rated films that were meant to appeal to younger audiences. Yeah, you know, like your Friday the Thirteenth and your Nightmares on Elm Street. Yeah, those are for teens to go see and have a good time in the dark and you know get scared and make out and eat popcorn. Whereas, like, films that were actually for adult audiences that dealt with, like, adult themes and maybe had some sexu- some sexuality in them, like, also rated R. Like, he saw that there was a, a little bit of a hypocrisy mm-hmm. there, and, you know, there was this big well, discussion as to what the irony is the that rating. films and uh, TV that are made for mature audiences are often made for immature audiences. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but in 1998, uh, they... Took uh, Fear Street on a dry run. Yeah, yeah. Before the movies, where the live action movies were twinkle in anyone's eye, we ended up having a failed primetime pilot for a Fear Street television series. It aired. Uh, it, it didn't do great in the ratings, but I didn't know about it until really, really recently. So let's take a look at the 
early, failed, but was it really canceled too soon attempt, R.L. Stein's Ghosts of Fear Street. Hey, PJ, I've been waiting for you. What's wrong with you? My science project got a little out of hand. You know how they say on TV, don't try this at home, kids. Well, I tried it. What happened to them? You'll find out soon enough. Uh, Ghost of Fear Street is not like the movies. Uh, no. This is this is a, another. This is a show for kids and yeah. um, prime time, but prime yeah. time in the sort of full house boy meets world kind yeah, of demographic. Yeah. Um, and this one has an approach of something a little bit more like the Munsters or the Adams Family, in that it's about a, a cast of characters mm-hmm. who move into a really weird neighborhood, and weird yeah. stuff is going to happen there. And for the most part, they're all kind of interested or okay with weird shit. Uh, So, yeah, it's about a a family, dad, mom, three kids. The uh, Murphy family. Let's go through the the cast here. Uh, So, uh, the father is named PJ Murphy. He's played by Christopher Rich, uh, who... Who is R.L. Stein. Who is essentially R.L. Stein. You may remember him from the uh, sitcom Reba. He was on Boston Legal for a while. He was in the Joy Luck Club. Um, And, yeah, he grew up on Fear Street, an actual street, and in the years that followed, he became a writer of young adult horror, mm. all of which, it turns out, we'll find out later in the episode, were directly inspired by his actual experiences growing up on the street. Yeah, and it opens with a flashback to 1972, and yeah. it's a scary story of him going into the, the bad house on the block, and he's yeah. going to hang out with friends, and when he goes in, everything's coated with, like, spider webbing and, yeah. like, sticky gross stuff. And he doesn't notice that the parents are, like, desiccated, yeah, every, and their every, eyes yeah, have popped out. Everybody's all, like, mummified and cocooned as he walks yeah. through the house, but he doesn't notice all that. And he and, finds all of his friends, and they're playing Twister, but they're, like, mummified in place, and then finally... the little kid he was there to see says hey you know when they say don't try this at home i I tried tried it at home (laughs) (laughs) and then he like turns into a bug creature and starts shooting webbing out of his armpits which glow red for some reason and that part i don't understand he's got like little buggy like web spinning apertures under his arms i guess and it's weird that it's in his pit it's weird that it's in his his shirt that he's yeah he sprays out of his armpits yeah uh, and cocoons, his, cocoons yeah. his friend and then his head turns into a fly head yeah. and he says, I'm going to suck your blood with this flexi straw. And then he <laughs> whips out a bendy straw. Mm. And at that point, PJ Murphy's two kids are like, a bendy straw? Really? That's, that's, that's not threatening, dude. That's not really threatening. Uh, so uh, he sticks to his guns, though. He insists the bendy straw is threatening. Uh, okay, so we meet PJ uh, uh, Murphy's wife, Anne, is played by Talia Balsam. Uh, Talia Balsam uh, was on Mad Men. She's got a long, long yeah. TV career. Yeah, she's probably best known lately for Mad Men, but she's in Divorce. She's been in a lot of stuff. Uh, she was on Without a Trace for a while. Um, and then uh, we've also got and, uh, and uh, their their kids. She was also um, married to George Clooney. Really? Yeah. Oh. Okay. And, and, uh, and if you say so. And she, I think she also like married one of her Mad Men co-stars if again yeah. if you say so uh but uh then they've got uh they've got two kids they've got uh, uh joe played by vincent barry uh vincent barry was in stuff like big mama's house two and breakdown <laughs> and free willy three the rescue 
then they've got uh, their oldest daughter, Kit. T- yeah, t- typical teenage daughter. Mm-hmm. She's uh, she's played by Alexandra Breckenridge, uh, who still working. She's been she was on uh, This Is Us for a long time, so you probably recognize her. Uh, she was on The Walking Dead for a while, so she's had a pretty big TV career too. And then the littlest kid in the in the family is Mickey, played by Cameron Finley. Cameron Finley uh, played Beaver in Leave It to Beaver, the movie from 1997. He was also on Baywatch for a while, apparently. I, I never saw that that Leave It to Beaver movie. Uh, but the, nor I. That's when there were a lot of TV uh, adaptations that were actually like kind of fun and tongue-in-cheek, and they, they weren't coming out every week. Yeah. It's, you know, the... Uh, which was which came first, the Brady Bunch movie or the Adams Family? Ooh, in, in, in the for the films, I think the Adams Family. I want to say I think the Adams Family is the one that broke because there was this trend in the '90s, and people don't really talk about it very much anymore. But there was this trend in the '90s of taking old sitcoms and making big budget or at least mo- modestly budgeted uh, studio comedies out of them. But they were they tended to be kind of like farcical yeah. send ups of of the main material. Yeah, some more so than others. The Adams Family was already kooky enough as it was, mm. so that one's a relatively straight adaptation. But that first Adams Family movie and the Adams Family Values. Hmm. They're great. <laughs> I love They're those, those such Adams good fa- comedies. The Barry Sonnenfeld Adams Family movies are really, really good. Um, um, and then I, the Brady Bunch. So that was in 1991, the Adams Family movie. And the Brady Bunch movie was 1995. So I think oh, Adams Family yeah. was the one that broke that kind door spear, open. Spearheaded the, these uh, sitcom adaptations. The Brady Bunch movie is shockingly high concept. Because <laughs> at some point they realized that nothing about the Bradys is plausible. And so rather like they, than they try to just as weird as the Adams family. So yeah, and so the, and rather than try to create like some sort of world where the Brady Bunch was normal, they decided to treat them like the Adams family where mm-hmm. they're so wholesome. They are so milk toast well, that the, everyone uh, in the neighborhood is freaked the fuck out by them. The the idea is uh, in the Brady household looks like it did in the sitcom in the seventies, yeah. but it takes place in the nineties and everybody behaves like it's the seventies and they don't yeah. like understand the outside world. But yeah, they're like aggressively wholesome and they like yeah. this is a car, Jack. Oh, of course this is a car, but my name isn't Jack. It's Greg, and this is my sister, Marsha. Hi. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and, and that freaks out the thief, and the thief runs yeah. away. My favorite one is uh, when all the neighbors are like gossiping about the Brady's and it's like I was in their bathroom I didn't see a toilet because <laughs> you don't see one on you sitcoms. wouldn't see one in a sitcom it was in, it was considered taboo on television so yeah I was like well you have to have one right where do they keep it so uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out like where um, like tracing this back to where we ran off on this tangent uh, where did like sort of the the wave of kids horror begin oh well I think there was a wave of kids horror in the 90s. Mm. And it's again, this is the sort of thing where it's like it's hard to track down specifically. Yeah. Because everything has its roots in something else. But mm. at some point in the 90s, we settled on a sort of mildly creepy episodic television. We had Eerie Indiana, mm. which was a cult which, favorite. I've seen uh, some of that. Yeah. It, it mostly very, very good. Uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark was a big, uh, one of Nickelodeon's yeah, first big, like, uh, original series for like yeah, older I, teens, I, and uh, I didn't have cable, so I didn't get to yeah. see that. Uh, again, hit or miss, but the hits were really, really good, and um, a lot of people remember it very, very fondly. Um, and Goosebumps was part of that mm-hmm. wave as well. So this is pretty tidally at the uh, end of that and, wave. And, and I think, course, that, and of course, the best of the lot, which we covered on Council too soon, was Bone Chillers. 
uh, with episodes directed by Richard Alt. It was a weird show. I love Bone Chillers so much. I appreciate how weird Bone Chillers was. I don't think it was particularly a good show, but I can appreciate its, its weirdness. But it's so weird. I appreciate its weirdness, but if you want to listen to the Bone Chillers episode, you can give a Google search for that. Um, and that's, yeah, we did that like a year or two ago. It's, now, yeah, it's been a little uh, while back. But that was also from the mid-90s. Yeah, so like there's there's this wave of like horror for kids, but it's not like super duper scary. It's just sort of playing with mm. playing with your fears. And, uh, and this is very much in the middle of that. It's very, very, you know, sitcom-y. Yeah. Um, and it's, it is basically like, what if instead of the Munsters are the only house on the block with monsters in it, what if the Munsters were the only house on the block that didn't have monsters yeah. in it? And that's a fun idea. And uh, so, yeah, it's about sort of a, uh, I don't want to call them a milk toast family because they actually are a little bit quirky. Yeah. No, they're actually, they're actually they're, surprisingly they're, well characterized for, yeah, they're, for a they're, show like this. They're really quirky, but they are uh, a little out of their element. But well, they're, they're very, okay they're, with all of the weird stuff they're running they're into. They're very wholesome. Yeah. So, again, so you got the dad who's very, very, he's a bit of a dippy dad, but he's got this secret. He knows all the horror is real. Uh, I actually really like the mom, uh, played by Talia Balsam. Um she grew up on Fear Street and she was ostracized socially because mm. of it, because Fear Street is a creepy place. Yeah. And people who don't live there don't get it. And as a result, she's very eager to put this part of her life behind her and not get her kids involved in it. Mm. And over the course of the pilot, she realizes that it actually wasn't that bad and she starts dealing with her own past. And I'm like, that's actually pretty good character development for a pilot for a show like this. <laughs> um, the littlest kid... Uh, uh, Mickey, he's uh, he can see ghosts and no one else can. Uh, which at first everyone thinks he's just playing around, and then not only do they realize that he can see their dead grandma, but also uh, he's got a ghost dog who's now the family pet. Uh, and uh, to save on having to train an animal, it's invisible. Yeah, which is funny. Yeah. Uh, then well, they, they did have to add a few special effects for like when the dog steps on something or was yeah. at the end of the episode, it licks the kid kid's face and they use that weird smearing, dig- digital CGI. smearing technology that just like destroyed his face. It, it looks, looks awful. Really, yeah. It looks awful. Uh, then, uh, yeah, we've got the uh, eldest teen and at first she just seems like kind of like a sardonic, you know, typical rebellious teen. But o- over the course of the episode, I realized that. She's just been feeling really lonely because no one else is as weird as her. And now that she's on Fear Street, everyone's as weird as she wants to be. Mm. And she loves it. And she feels <laughs> home. And that's really, really nice. And, and, she, then, and she instantly has a best friend. Yeah. Uh, in the form of Cricket. Mm-hmm. Played Look, by uh, Azura Sky, yeah. uh, An actress I... Uh, I feel like I only recently discovered Azura Sky uh, with a movie called The Swerve that she starred in last year where she mm. plays... Uh, a, a woman. It's essentially about a house. Uh, uh, it's about a housewife who's suffering the indignities of just everyday life, and how uh, nobody appreciates her, and everybody treats her badly, and how she's sort of t- constantly teetering on the cusp of just utter despair yeah. because of these things that are haunting her. She gives a great performance. In yeah, that she's movie. been really, really good for a long, mm-hmm. long time, and I don't think enough people have noticed. Um, what you, else you might have seen her in? She was in Wrist Cutters, a love story. Uh, mm-hmm. She was in One Missed Call, the American film. Um, Let's see. She was in. Oh, she was. Uh, she was in that uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode, "Conversations with Dead People," which was uh, considered kind of a big deal when it came out. Wasn't she like a regular episode. or semi-regular on? No, Buffy she was only. Or? She was only in two episodes. There was. Oh, she okay. was in one episode, and then "Conversations with Dead People" was like a sort of okay. a follow-up to it. But that's like her. That was like her like sort of breakout. Everyone's like, "Ooh, who the hell is this? She's good." Yeah. Um. So. Uh, so yeah, she she immediately uh, has a new friend, and then poor Joe, the middle child. 
Um, he's the one who's actually not super comfortable with all this horror stuff, and his first response is to try to kill it. <laughs> so when they explore the neighborhood, when they uh, head back to Fear Street to visit um, their grandfather, played by the great Red Buttons. Uh, Red Buttons has been living in Fear Street his whole life. He's run a bed and breakfast, and he's his wife is dead, and he can't run the place by himself anymore, so he's going to move in with the family and move to San Diego, and it's very bittersweet for him. Um and uh, the kids explore the neighborhood a little bit, and they find that weird bug house from Dad's story that's covered in all of the spider webs. Mm. And that's where they meet Cricket, who lives there, and she collects bugs. And that's when Joe, wanting to leave because he's uncomfortable with all her giant bug collection, uh, runs into and the Dad downstairs, and they both kind of scare each other in the kitchen because they weren't expecting them to be there. And the Dad turns into a giant bug and starts squirting webs out of his armpits <laughs> and playing with straws. <laughs> No, well, not well, the straws. Well, the, the, the Joe sees the dad holding a drink and it has two flexi straws in it and they're sticking out like bug antennae. Yeah. And that, that that's the thing that freaks him out. Yeah. Is he actually does freak out at bendy straws. Yeah. So he uh, so Joe immediately runs home and mom and dad are having a conversation about how, you know, maybe this place isn't so bad. Maybe we can move in here. Mm. You know, it's kind of a nice neighborhood. Well, We're both well, from here. And well, the, the line of dialogue, the dad says, I, I, I could have writer's block anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, uh, as they're having this argument about whether or not they should move back to their old neighborhood, uh, they hear their car alarm go off and it's like, oh, what's, why is our car alarm going off? Oh, Joe is stealing our car battery. Why is Joe stealing our car battery? Grandpa, do you know anything about this? Oh yeah. He asked how to kill bugs. And I said a bug zapper would do it. So the next time we see Joe, he's like hooked up a car battery into a backpack and he's put electrified (laughs) gloves so he can like zap a bug. It's not gloves. He's got the uh, um, uh, jumper cables. Well, he's wearing gloves for for protection is my point. So like he looks like he's like an amateur ghostbuster and he immediately shocks his father. It's like, ah, don't do that again. He climbs in through the window and yeah, just stabs his father right in the chest, (laughs) electrocuting his own dad. See, I like this. I like this, this show because, yeah, this this is, it, it's like freaky and violent, but playful. Yeah. No, it's very, very playful. It's, yeah. it's really got a great tone to it, which I really like. It's like, it's half kind of like surreal. Like, if, if you remember that show Bone Chillers, which we talked about, everything in Bone Chillers was kind of hyper designed, but in that low budget TV kind of way. So yeah. it never really felt real. It felt like a set. But here it's like halfway. It's like half kind of real, mm. half kind of bizarre. So when you're in like the bug guy's house, everything is a little bit more Beetlejuice. Yeah, and when you're in like Grandpa's gi- gigantic house, gigantic rubber feels, cockroaches yeah. on the background, which you know, good, it's fun. good, uh, you know, production design. But yeah, not not aiming for realism. Yeah, and then uh, uh, they go inside the house, and uh, Dad introduces them to his friend PJ. PJ, who's been a bug boy since uh, kindergarten. And They've been best, best friends since kindergarten. Yeah, and it's just that he's it's it's a condition he deals with. Sometimes it flares up at the moment it has, and he just gotta you know do some breathing exercises, mm-hmm. and it'll yeah, calm breathe. down his blood pressure, he and he'll be yeah. fine. He, bre- he breathes rapidly, and he turns back into a person. Yeah, he talks about this is the one thing in the episode that bugs me. He talks about like it's like panic attacks, but worse. So once I do some breathing, I'll be fine. And then he immediately hyperventilates. No, look, look, that's not how you do. No, he's that a is bug. Not, his okay. biology is different. You don't I, know how that works. I don't okay? know how that works, but I do know that for the old people at home who aren't bugs, which I venture to say was probably a lot of their target demo. Mm, okay, right. it reads Fine, weird. I'll, I'll hand I'll hand you that because Most that was of the, the thing I had to learn. Bug when, people. I uh, I you know I suffer from anxiety and I I deal with it. And one of the things that I learned was the right way to breathe. Okay. Um, 
when you're breathing in, when you're having anxiety, when you have a panic attack, or when you hyperventilate, you tend to breathe so fast that you're not actually absorbing the oxygen you're taking into your body. So it just comes, goes in and goes out, and you don't actually get any of the life-saving molecules mm. that you've just brought in, any of the oxygen. So the trick when you are having a panic attack, or when you're even just so stressed you think you might have one, is to breathe in slowly, hold it in, and then breathe out slowly. But your instinct is to breathe really, really quick because you need air. So I learned that the hard way. And uh, right. it, my life has dramatically improved. I have so many fewer panic attacks as a result yeah. of that. It's really great. Um, but I'm, anyway, I'm, yeah, it turns out I'm the bug guy is cool. And he's played by Rick Overton from Willow. Yeah, and, yeah, one of the one of the brownies from Willow. So yeah, th this this bug creature is not the villain. It's not the monster of the week. Mm -hmm. He's the neighbor. Yeah, he's the neighbor that they're going to be living with. Yep, because cricket and, uh, is now uh, cricket is now Kit's best friend. Mm -hmm. They love each other. They think they're the There's, best. Uh, yeah, Cr There's actually cricket this... uh, is is caught styling her hair mm -hmm. using just the spider Webbing. webs that are yeah. hanging from the walls. I don't know how I don't know how intentional this was, but I was watching this with my wife Bart and Michelle, and there's this moment where Cricket and Kit bond like instantly and completely. Mm. And Joe is extremely uncomfortable and wants to leave. And he's like, come on, let's go. And she's like, no, I'm having a moment here. And it really does feel almost like a first queer moment, like where you just finally a find a tiny your identity bit, yeah, a little yeah. bit and you don't have to put your finger on it. Well, and as, as it's kind of genuine, you know? As somebody who has not an older sister, I, yeah. I also, I, it's also weird when you, because your, your older siblings behave differently around their friends than they do around you. Sure. And, um, uh, when they find a new friend and they turn into friend sibling, mm. uh, that's kind of alienated for you as their sibling. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, at the end of the episode, they decide uh, that mom realizes that the ghost of her grandmother is living there and that living on Fear Street isn't so bad. And so she decides that it's cruel to make grandpa leave when he has so many roots there. And uh, they decide at the very least they're going to stay there for the summer. Mm. And we're going to see how it goes. And... Um, and that's Ghosts of Fear Street. Every it would have been uh, every week. I assume a new neighbor or a new weird element yeah. of Fear Street that would have or been just, monstrous, or just you know, it, it could have been like uh, an in-home sitcom, hmm. or just takes place entirely in that bed and breakfast. There hmm. aren't necessarily a lot of uh, well guests guest, would guest come stars, in. but guests uh, would come in. That's you've already mm -hmm. got that built into the premise. It's a bed yeah. and breakfast. A guest would come in. Mm -hmm. Bring some weirdness with them, or, Boom. or you know, I'm, I'm a dad. I'm having trouble at school. How am I going to remember this test? Well, luckily, uh, our bug friend excretes this substance out of his head. <laughs> so a, just take a take a shot of it, and he takes too much and it turns into a bug at school. That it kind of doesn't story doesn't all have to be about the bug guy. No, well, that's an, a story idea off Fair the top enough. of my head. I don't I work in the writer's room. All right, and if we did, we'd have more than down. 30 seconds to come up with something. Yes, No, indeed. no, I'm not shooting it down. I just want to make sure you're thinking outside that box. Okay. I want to encourage you not to... You, I don't want it, you to be the guy who's always pitching bug but ideas. But I've just come up with a story that incorporates three of the characters. There you go. boom de boom Um... Yeah, so, uh... Ghost of Fear Street aired on July 31st, 1998. Uh, that is a Friday... In July, in the 90s, that is so, a so bad you, time slot. Yeah, so you're not at home. <laughs> no one was home. No one gave a crap. What it was... aired after a repeat of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and it aired opposite Candid Camera, which decimated it in the ratings, and something called Getting Personal, which, to be fair, got worse ratings than Ghosts of Fear Street. Um, but it did not do well. Yeah, It yeah. did apparently okay with the male demographic, but the female demographic left. Like, right, after Sabrina, right. they weren't interested. I guess they marketed it, like, more to young 
the, the, the young, young boys, then, yeah, well, and uh, yeah, just it didn't it didn't there's, click. And there's nothing, I think uh, there's nothing p- particularly gendered about this I, no. in the '90s. Again, advertising it can be a factor. Though. Uh, yeah, I don't know how they advertised it. But yeah, I, I mean, Goosebumps wasn't gendered. All uh, it was it was boys and girls were reading Goosebumps books. I'm just going off of what little information I have about this, and apparently okay. that was the one thing we have definitely is the Nielsen ratings. Okay. Um, I actually don't think that's much of a factor, and I think that if the show had been picked up, hmm. and if it had consistently aired after Sabrina the Teenage Witch, more people would have given it a try eventually, Maybe. just because they would have uh, left their TV on well, for a bit, I've... and then they probably would have thought to themselves. If it's all as good as the pilot, it's pretty good, actually. We should keep watching this show. This is fun. I've seen uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and, you know, it deals with witchcraft and magic, and there's a talking cat on the show, and uh, it's, but it's also very friendly. It's a very light, funny show, and uh, it doesn't, it didn't strike me as being particularly odd. It's just sitcom with magic elements in it. It's, it's all it's, it's all very vibe. it's it all too, very yeah. easy to understand and consume. Mm-hmm. This is a weird show. This is you know, with its show for weird kids. Bug people and moving on to Fear Street. There's a, a wonderful shot uh, where the mom and the dad are on the porch discussing something, and in the background, out of focus, like in a Zucker Brothers movie, uh-huh. there's somebody just being attacked by crows. Yeah. And and they don't notice it. It's just ha- something that's yeah. happening in the background. And it's never talked about again. Yeah. It doesn't pay off later. It's just something that happens on Fear Street and we mind our own business. Mm. That guy pissed off the crow god and we're just going to let him do his own I, thing. I've always loved gags like that that are yeah. just sort of like put in the background. Uh, yeah. there's, there's a wonderful shot. I got to... to uh, Talked to Jim Abrams once. He came to uh, to my college to talk about you know airplane and the comedies that he's made. And uh, there's this wonderful shot in Hot Shots mm. where it's just exposition, where uh, Lloyd Bridges and and um, Kevin Dunn are having a conversation, and they're they're very oh, and, it's, and, and you can see out the and, window, and you can see out, out the window in the distance yeah. uh, some soldiers doing like their exercises and their drills, and they end up like doing a kick line, yeah, uh, and it's it's really hilarious, and your eye is drawn straight to it, and. Jim Abrams talked about what a nightmare that was to set up just for a background <laughs> gag. Cause he has to set the camera in such a way that you can see those people out the window, yeah. like hundreds of feet away. Uh, and you got to time it right, which has got to be yeah, a pain yeah. in the and ass. And, so all yeah. of, all of that was really, really difficult to yeah. set up worth it. I'd say. Sure. Uh, but I think that informs a, a shot or a scene or a mood way better than putting the gag front and center. So that kind of thing is announcing that fear street's going to be a little bit odd. Um, yeah. I think this, and and I'd say that uh, this would have benefited from like maybe a stranger director. We talk about bone chillers. Richard Elfman worked on bone chillers. Doesn't get much Rich, stranger than Richard, Richard Elfman. Richard Elfman is a weird guy. Just yeah. He's just a weird person. And, uh, and, and I mean that as the highest compliment. Hmm. Uh, this one was directed by Ken Quapis, who is, or maybe it's Quapis. I think it's Quapis, but I could be wrong. Okay. Uh, and he's got an interesting Quapis career is... that's sort of like half middle of the road, likable, but not very interesting comedies. Like, a walk in the woods. A wa- a Big in- miracle. He's yeah. just not that into you. Yeah, he's done sort License of like... to wed. Did Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. That was you a big hit he did. But he actually got to start doing a bit more interesting stuff. His, one of his first movies was Sesame Street's Follow That Bird. Mm. Which is... If you haven't seen it lately, or if you've never seen it at all... Charming as hell. <laughs> I recently watched that like last year. It holds up really good. Like it's just really likable. All the puppet work is really wonderful. Mm. It's got a real emotion to it. Like it's just 
was made by kooky people who mm-hmm. made a kooky movie, and it's so, a delight that film. I, I would think that that Ken Quapus, who has this uh, Quapus, has yeah. who has this a knack for making kind of middle of the road things would bring sort of a, a little bit more of a, I guess a mainstream quality to mm-hmm. it. Something that's a lot more relatable, but this one's odd. It's a little yeah. off kilter. Well, he, he's he also bring, he's bringing on, his, his oddball mess. He also works on this. Erie, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did two episodes of that. And he did a movie that I'm very, very fond of called Vibes. Yeah, I saw Vibes for the first time just recently. Oh, no shit. Vibes is wonderful. Nobody talks about Vibes, but Vibes is great. Uh, Vibes, 1988, Jeff Goldblum and Cindy Lauper from Girls Just Want to Have Fun fame. Uh, They are psychics. They're part of a uh, college uh, research group where they're trying to investigate people who claim to be psychics. And they are enlisted by Peter Falk to find ancient treasure... In, is Peter Falk. in like I think it's Central America because there's like some like, some a, giant like pyramid country, that has yeah. some giant pyramid that has magical powers and shit, and it ends up becoming this like but whole they, thing where people uh, get kidnapped at gunpoint and they fall in love and it, it's just weird and wonderful and yeah, weird b- because uh, Jeff Goldblum and Cindy Lauper are legit psychics. The opening scene of Vibes is them yeah. at like the Psychic Institute right. doing things with like reading people's minds and holding yeah. objects and that and being tested that sort yeah. of thing. Uh, and uh, Jeff Goldblum like works in a museum so he can like touch an ancient object and just know its past. Uh, yeah, it's 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 an it's an odd duck vibes. Yeah. It's like it's like half an adventure movie, half a comedy, mm-hmm. half a rom com, half it, a con artist film. It runs out of steam hard right at the end. I think, I, there's a lot of scenes like at the end where they're just sort of standing around on the pyramid. They just sort of like it start, it, but it starts very strong. It starts very strong. It, it the ending is a little mm-hmm. like they didn't really have a great ending for it, but boy. Just Jeff. It turns out Cindy Lauper, great actor. She's a very good actor. She's so yeah. damn charming. It's a shame she wasn't in more. Mm-hmm. Like I know Vibes wasn't a hit, but like she's really good in it. I well, would totally l- have paid to see her in more movies. Luckily, we still have Cindy Lauper because yes. she's Cindy Lauper, and no, she's you, incredible. You can buy her, uh, buy her record, and occasionally still. she'd she'd act, but more. But like she just seemed like she was like going for that sort of Madonna, desperately seeking Susan kind of career transition vibe, and it didn't really hit for her, and it's a shame because Vibes is Vibes is cool, Vibe mm-hmm. works. Um, but anyway, uh, Fear Street, Ghosts of Fear Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movies, instant classic. The show was it canceled too soon? Uh, yeah, I want to see more of this. This is a, this is adorable. It's, I want to see this. It's it's sweet, but it's odd, and I like that. Yeah. Uh, I maybe it was too much like some of the other things that were already out there. It's like, oh well, we already have we had a eerie Indiana, we had Are You mm. Afraid of the Dark, and uh, I think. I think Tales from the Crypt was already off the air at this point. But, I, think, um, I think I think Tales from the Crypt Keeper might have still been on the air though. Yeah, it had that it was, animated series based on Tales from the yeah. Crypt for like you know Tales from the Crypt but for kids. Um, mm. So, uh, but it was still pervasive. Like it was still like yeah. the '90s were very Tales from the Crypt centered. Yeah, Ta- Tales world. from the Crypt was like a runaway hit. Like oh, it, it so inspired good. a lot, and yeah. it inspired a lot that a lot of people don't really talk about anymore. Like how many fans are there of the, the TV series Monsters? Or uh, mm. or tales from the dark side, for that matter. Yeah. Or uh, well, are you afraid in the dark? I think tales yeah, from the crypt yeah. helped blaze a trail and gave that a bit more yeah, freedom. I mean, this, there was this, we this already really had like tales from the dark side, but it lure, wasn't that lurid big. anthology horror was yeah. was big business in the nineties. Yeah. Freddy Krueger even had his own TV series. Ah oh, yes, good times. It wasn't a good TV series, but Freddy had I've one. I've actually never seen Freddy's Nightmares. I've, I've, I've seen like a, uh, an episode. I think I he might have popped seen a bowling ball, which was weird. He popped a bowling like ball? Freddy was was the crypt keeper, and yeah. uh, and so he would like show up. And it's like here's a story, kids. It's a, here's one of my nightmares, and yeah, and in one of those segments, he he was bowling. 
And and I remember a, a segment where he like used his claw to pop, like he stabbed the bowling ball and deflated like a balloon. Oh. Which okay. is something that might happen in a dream, I suppose. It's not exactly scary, but no, uh, it's not scary at all. Actually, like if he sliced open banal. the sliced open the ball and it had like guts inside or something, mm. that would freak me out. Anyway, Ghost of Fear Street's quite good though. <laughs> I did like Ghost of Fear Street. Yeah, it's a very very good show. It's a, it's readily available. You can find it pretty easily online. I think a few people have put it like on YouTube. Uh, now that Fear Street has come out, they realize that the people Fear are kind Street of interested. Movies, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's like 21 minutes long, flies right by. If you if you're nostalgic for that era of like, mm. thank God it's Friday, uh, kind of uh, sitcoms, or you just want to see some kind of kooky in 90s, check it out. It's a treat. Yeah. It's a fun fun show, and I'm really really glad uh, that we watched it and that we were able to bring back Cancel too soon with something that was such a fun little discovery. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so um. I, guess that's it mm. uh, yeah I'm, I'm trying to think if there's there's anything else i really wanted to add um it, it is it is of its time it feels of its time it feels mm. uh, you know i have a lot of nostalgia for this period just because this, this was when i was a teenager and everybody has that for their teenage years but um despite that i think this is still a pretty fun watch i think mm. there's a lot of sort of relatable mm. characters it's having fun with itself and, oh and i appreciate that we forgot to mention something really really important hmm the opening credits. That's maybe not so important. It, well, I think it's worth bringing up. So why don't yeah, we? It, 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 you know that this actually the title sequence could have been the thing that sent people out. It's uh, really because actually. it's it's this really kind of uh, I guess it's like this fun organ riff with a lot of like scary laughter in the background and. Uh, and it's just a bunch of like really horribly animated CGI skeletons bobbing along to this big sort of abstract yeah. red background. Yeah, just dancing skeletons yeah. looking real awkward and uncomfortable. And it's like that, that's... With eyes. Was, like they've it, got eyes, yeah. which skeletons should not have eyes. The CGI looked bad even for the time. Oh, yeah. Most CGI looked bad at the time. I, I think they didn't have a title sequence, and they had to come up with one like on the cheap real fast. I would not be surprised if that was and, the case. Because uh, it again, looks like... A, again, this is a failed pilot. This was <laughs> like... Maybe if people love it, we'll bring it back. But it feels like we spent the money, we have to air it, we'll just throw it in on a, in the middle yeah, of yeah. summer and get a little advertising money out of it. But uh, anyway, the watch the opening credit sequences there. It's a hoot. Um, anyway, yeah, that's, uh, that is it for Cancel Too Soon. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, we will be back soon. We do love this show. And um, yeah, I think we're going to be a little less formal about what we do. We're just going to try to follow our bliss for a little bit yeah. and uh, we'll find, we still, find some weird stuff. We still have a lot of videos that people have mailed to us, yep. and we're going to try to cover those as hard as we can. We um, are. We are. But I think it's it's easier for us to sort of glide along here if we... Uh, take take the pressure off a little bit. Well, I think when you and I find, discover something existed, or when someone like tells us about the existence of something that we had no idea about, mm. and we get like super jazzed about it, we just want to do that first. Yeah. And yeah. I think when we do that, and we follow our passion for it, the show gets done a little faster. So um, I think we need to look at it a little less as homework and a little bit more like, uh, oh my god, you guys have to see this thing. So it'll be a combination of both because you never know what you're going to get. You know, it might sound like a great idea and then it ends up being a chore. Mm. It might sound like a chore and end up being the greatest thing ever. You have the, <laughs> the whole point of these shows is they failed before anyone gave them a fair shake. So our job is to give them a fair shake. Sometimes yeah. they're good, sometimes they're bad, but we're giving them a little bit more of a one of a of a look see than most people ever did. So, uh, but anyway, that's that's uh, that's canceled too soon. Thank you, everybody, once again. 
Uh, if you want to support this show and all of our other shows of the Critically Acclaimed Network, head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We have a lot of exclusive shows there. Shows about uh, every single episode of Star Trek. We're about to start our journey through every single episode of The Next Generation. Very excited. And uh, we've actually just decided that uh, as a treat for everybody, we are going to put our review of the pilot episode of Star Trek The Next Generation on the main feed for free. Yeah, Everybody can at least listen to the pilot episode because I know a lot of people are waiting for us to get to the next generation and we want some people to, to hear about like what we're doing over there and maybe they can follow along the rest of our journey. Um, we got that going on. We've got shows about the Academy Awards. Every single episode of the 1960s Batman. Commentary tracks. You can vote for episodes. Like There's a lot going on over at our Patreon. So once again, that's patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. You can also join in the conversation by emailing us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. And if you email us, we might answer your email on an upcoming episode of our podcast, We've Got Mail, uh, where we answer your emails. That's the whole point of that show. <laughs> Whitney, tell them about our P.O. Box. We have a P.O. Box. Uh, mail us something. Mail us a letter. Uh, if you mail us a letter on paper, we'll read that on the letters episode. It's uh, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah, hold on. I think my pipes are. Yeah, if you can hear a humming loud. in the background, yeah, it's, we, it's a plumbing problem. I think we had a I think we had a plumbing problem in our building or something like that. So hopefully it's not too distracting. I don't know. I can't. Maybe you can't hear that, but I certainly can. Oh, you annoying. know what? This ties back to fear in the '90s. Uh, we had plumbing problems in my uh, my childhood home, uh, and there was a, a period when uh, before we got the pipes fixed, whenever somebody flushed the toilet, like about a minute later. You could hear the the pipes vibrating, and it got really loud right in my bedroom. Ooh. And so if my like my, if my sister used the restroom or something in the middle of the night, that was the plot point in that horror movie Ghost Watch. Was it? Yeah, uh, yeah. It was. Uh, there was all these mysterious noses uh, noises, and the mom was telling the mysterious kids noses. Everywhere. <laughs> That's creepy, right? No, there was mysterious noises, and the mom was trying to tell the kids everything's okay. She said it's okay. It's just pipes. So the kids thought that was the name of the ghost, pipes, <laughs> which is a creepy ghost name if you think about it. Um, yeah, I, really loud, deep humming noise, oh, and I didn't know what it was. That it's, sounds awful. Felt like the house was like trying to swallow me. Super creepy. Anyway, uh, we're also on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And uh, that's a wrap. We'll see you next season <laughs> or on the next podcast that we have on this network. Whichever comes first. <laughs>